0: Axel, did you know how long Pappy was in the war for? Huh. How long? One year. One year. Uh-huh. When did you go in?
1: What boot camp? Uh, January of 1969. So we
0: wasn't there for one year. And then he got home.
1: I got out of August August third? August 8th. August 8th. 1970. And I was a corporal, E 4.
0: And he lost 30 pounds.
1: 60. 162 pounds when I went there. I came back 119 pounds. Oh my gosh. I was all muscle when I went there. I was all bone when I came back. All bone and muscle. Yeah. So, what? But he was, how
0: strong is this? He was
1: super
0: <laughs> strong. He was super strong. <coughs> like Colden's age. Can you imagine Colden going to the war? No. <coughs> no. And then at a war, you saw this guy of Colden's age and this guy still bomb on his belly and he blew up. Yeah. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So you wanna know what it was like when Pappy came home from the war? What? Maybe he'll tell us. You could ask him questions too. What Pappy? Do you think he came home on a plane? On a plane.
1: Yeah, I came home on a plane. Flying tiger jet line. And
0: yeah. then he and then, and then he got sawed in the arm.
1: Yeah. And he did
0: anyway, he, he didn't even know. Me tell.
1: Right there. That, mm-hmm. that one. On oh, his right
0: forearm. Well, so, I he didn't even know Mintel. He left his arm and he saw
1: me. I, I should have been dead lots of times. I knew I had a guardian angel. I had a reason for being alive. I didn't know what it was. So I prayed to God to reveal to me who I am. And then and so then happy? Get on with my life's mission so I can become a better person and help other people with my prayer.
0: That was Axel, our youngest. And one of the things that we have treasured that has really become the cornerstone foundation of our family is conversation and sitting around and just hearing each other's story and learning from each other where we've been. And that might be years ago. That might be just today. That might be with dreams of where we're going. That little snippet just really touches my heart because it captures the essence of what our fireside is about. It is the transferring of the legacy and the story of the past to the future of our children and capturing the heart of what our forefathers, our grandparents, our parents, those who have gone before us and really honoring their lives and what they've stood for and where they've been and just wanting to glean from their life experience Today's episode is all about that as I had the opportunity just to sit down with my dad and something that I have truly been enjoying doing on a weekly basis, interviewing my dad and capturing these stories so that I will not forget it and really just giving my dad that space to retell and to feel appreciated and honored. For the life that he's lived and survived and come through, Um, whether it be Vietnam War, um, just the oldest of four boys and an abandoned father who left them uh, when they were all very young to living a life of homelessness after Vietnam and just the ongoing struggles in the survivor. Uh, mentality that my dad has. And so today's episode is really about just kind of getting a little bit of a glimpse of the heart of a man who overcame death itself and really defied all odds. So thanks for joining us today and happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans. Words do not express the gratitude that we really can feel as our nation enters into a whole new reality of what heroes are and what America stands for and whatever year it is, I will never deny the honor that is due to the men who have shed their blood and lived their lives for our freedoms. Lest we ever forget, may the stories continue to be told. Get ready to ignite your fire. So, Dad, can you tell us the story of a near encounter of death in Vietnam?
1: Yeah, so I had several of them. Uh, But some of the biggest ones were when I was in the rear getting ready to leave Vietnam. Me and a black guy named Smitty from Philadelphia, he asked me if I wanted to smoke a J, man. Yeah, I said, yeah, so a J was a joint. So we went out to the uh, latrine and the the toilets consisted of four 55 gallon barrels cut in half. So you had a two 55 gallon barrels cut in half, so you had four containers filled diesel fuel and it was just like an outhouse and he just pooped in the diesel fuel. Well, we got out there and we just lit up a joint and he lit it up and handed it to me. I took one hit off of it and I looked over towards the barracks because it was like about 80 yards from all the barracks where they were because of the stink. The Vietnamese would burn them off every day. But, um, Anyway, I looked over there, and around the edge of the building came two night patrol guys, which I recognize as. They're just regular Marines in the rear that you get assigned night patrol. But you're always supposed to walk by yourself independently. You don't ever walk together. Both patrol guys don't walk together. With two marine or two MPs, which there was never ever any MPs back there. Never saw any MPs. So here was this powerful symbol of authority just walking around the edge of a building coming towards us in a matter of four authorities And two MPs and two guards and so that was a signal to get out of there get away from that now so we went about we walked about 60-80 feet away casually walking away from there and I heard this sound of incoming you know like the whistling of a rocket coming in and something I've heard before and right before they hit it's like silent and it's like so when when they get approaching you you hear the the whistle and then it's just like right right, the last split second there's no sound so when I heard that whistling of the rocket coming in, I started running, and right when it, it stopped whistling, I dove forward as fast as I could. and That rocket, which was a six-foot-long mm-hmm. rocket, it was a 122-millimeter, six-foot-long rocket, was a direct hit on that shutter. And it just, I was laying, I was laying on the ground, looking over my left sh- shoulder, and I, I looked at it, and it was just. Raging Inferno, direct hit right where I've been sitting smoking a joint if it hadn't been for those two MPs and two night patrols, which I call angels, because there's never... I I was working in the rear at the time, I was an enlisted men's club manager, that that was the last job I had, because um, I had a bounty on my head, and a $500 bounty for Vietnamese. Mm Uh, put it out on me and i knew that because i was an interpreter and so i never took r and r and my my captain said you know then you know you, you should really take an r and r you know you're getting you're being a short time you should go just take an r and r and i said no i'm not losing my jungle savvy i'm not losing my edge and he goes well, you take a short one and just do an r and r in country and i thought bang that's it i'll go I went to Danang. Uh, I went to the head of the Third Marine Amphibious Force, Third Marine Division. Uh, headquarters were there, and that's where I was detached from. Was the Third Marine Amphibious Force? I went to talk to the head chaplain of the Third Marine Division, and uh, I told him I was a conscientious objector, and he laughed at me and checked my record, and goes you're no conscientious objector because this ain't gonna work on me. I said, well, you send me back out there? I said, there's a a bounty on me and I'm not gonna leave Vietnam alive. You send me back out there, I'm gonna kill my own men just so I can go to jail so I can live. Wow. And he wrote me unfit for combat duty.
0: Wow, from that event.
1: So I was in the jungle at that time. And then when I went back, I got reassigned as I went from being out in the jungle and living in, you know, in the boonies every night, sleeping on the ground, oh sleeping in a hammock that I made, to uh, being in the rear, being the manager of the enlisted men's club, where I had a real, real tape deck, air conditioned building. I bought all the, all the alcohol, all the alcohol for a battalion and Marines. I had two cocktail waitresses. Work for me, Vietnamese girls, and uh, so, so. The,
0: your job. They were you were serving military men. Yeah, yeah,
1: just Marines only. Uh huh. As a Marines. Where was
0: that at?
1: Quang Tri, was in the rear. Of Quang Tri. I was north of Dong Ha. I was. In, I had five, six villages there. room It was called uh Mok Bai, Yang Trong, Baviet, General Lin. Camelot and Camelot, Quaviet, Geolin, by Nang yeah. How long did it take you to learn the
0: language? A month. You learned Vietnamese
1: in a month. I went to a four speed program in Da Nang. I had three years of Latin in high school. So my captain came out one day on a job and says, Anybody here, we need interpreters. Anybody here have two or more years of foreign language? I said, I've got three years of Latin, and he goes, anybody else got close to that? Nobody did, so he says, you want to go to Vietnamese language school? I says, get me out of here, and he goes, yeah. He goes, hand that gun, to. I was a machine gunner. He said, hand that gun to somebody else and get on that chopper. You're going to language school, so I went to Nang, which was a few hundred miles south, it's a big city. That's where I landed when I came into country. It was in Da Nang on uh, a seven thirty-seven Flying Tiger airline. You know, rocket barrage when we landed. But anyway, I was stopped by a Lieutenant Colonel in the South Vietnamese Army, and as a forced feed program, it was three hundred words a day.
0: Wow.
1: yeah. So they um, the whole concept of it was you only if if they only gave us a hundred words a day but you retain maybe 80%. Hmm. So they figure you give me 300 words a day, two tests a day. You get one uh, right Written, after yeah. lunch. When you come back from lunch, you, you get tested. For everything you, you learned that morning, and then before they dismiss you at night, uh, before you go to chow, you, get, you have another test. And so if you don't pass the test, you go back out to the, you flunk. You go back out to the jungle. So every day you're tested twice. Wow. If you don't pass the test, you're so back. It's
0: life or death.
1: <laughs> so I had a big incentive. Yeah. Because there I was in an old French fort compound that had like 20 foot high walls and, you know, eight mm-hmm. foot thick walls, 20 foot 20 foot high, surrounded by Constantina with towers on the corners and towers in the middle. Wow. It, it, about every 10 feet, there were ports, holes with foxholes, sandbag foxholes, where we shot, you know, where we defended that fort, which we got attacked. Where was that it, at? In Da Nang. Okay. Right on China Beach in Da Nang. But, uh, so the whole concept was, if they give you 300 words and you and you, mm-hmm. you retain 50% of 300 words, that's 150 words a day. Instead of 100 words at 80%, is only 80. So, you, you being saturated and hammered like that you know and so the uh, the lieutenant colonel in the south Souths army you know would taught us all you know high Bob bone Nam South Thompson buey that's that's um, one two three four five six uh, that's so
0: you still remember quite a bit
1: combi had toy bit yeah <laughs> yeah what did you just say? I I said combiet you that means I don't r- really know what you're talking about, but I, yes, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Toy, toy, be it is. Toy is I. Be it is is no. I have I have knowledge. Calm be it is no. Comb is no. Be it no knowledge. Uh huh. So toy come be it is I don't know. I know. Yeah. Toy is saying I don't know what you're talking about. So but there's th- three Vietnamese women that play roulette at the casino, and I tell them, hi, Moe Moe goes, hi, Moe Moe I'm like, yeah, hi, Moe That's 21, Yeah. Oh. so I'm telling them that on 21,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, that's
1: they, they get a kick out of me yeah. talking to them, you know.
0: So when you, how old were you when you were enlisted? When you are, are like how I did was
1: it? I was 18
0: and you went to boot camp.
1: Yeah, yeah, boot in camp San in San Diego. Diego, yeah.
0: You have a pretty interesting story about boot camp, I remember, uh, about uh, being forced to eat the food. Or
1: Oh, first night in boot camp, uh, we had ravioli, and I mean, they totally dehumanize you. As soon as you jump off that bus, there's. Eyeballs on the on the wall. It's, you know, stare at those eyeballs and look straight ahead. Don't move. And they, they march you all into a room, like a gymnasium room. And they say, take off all your clothes. You put all your clothes in a box and write a letter. I mean, a label. Send all your clothes home. And then they give you these oversized clothes that you know nothing fits. They don't care. Yeah. It's like extra large for extra small people. You know. And then, but before that, they they, sh- they shave your heads and then they march you all into a shower where you get in a shower with a busload of guys. And so anyway, you're scared to death. And that first night we had ravioli and Staff Sergeant Webb was standing at the end of the table. And the guy sitting next to me, his name was Jerry Licklider from um, St. Louis, Missouri. And he threw up in his plate. You know, and and I was sitting next, to him, and that that drone instructor reacted as soon as he started throwing up in his plate of, of, of ravioli. the Drone instructor came right, right right around that table, like you know, right chicken on it. a June bug, and it was on that guy and he was grabbing him by the back of his head, stuck his face in it in that plate and said, "Eat it." And I, I'm sitting there going, mmm. Mm, mm. <laughs> I'm trying to hold back my vomit. I'm, I'm smelling this guy's vomit, and I'm watching him eat this ravioli, this vomit ravioli, and I, I'm going, I can't barf. I'm going to have to eat my own barf too if I do that, you know. So that was the first night.
0: That was the first night. <laughs>
1: first night. I was, I was like, I was a tough guy when I went in there, but man, you lose your toughness when they when they start messing with you. Know you 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 done sold out to the Marine Corps, and they got your ass then, and there's nothing, there's no way out of it.
0: But, yeah, yeah. How long? How long was that?
1: How many months? It uh, months? it's like two months. Yeah. The guy I joined with, Birmingham. Um, he would sneak out of our barracks at night, and he'd sneak. I mean, it's a long ways over to the um, uh, what they call the grinder, the where everybody does all the marching and everything. But there's. A PX over there, and there's soda machines and candy bar machines over there. Bernie would sneak out of the barracks and make his way. I mean, this was like 600 yards or, or more. And I mean, it takes a lot of nerve, a lot of balls to do that because you get caught sneaking out of a barracks and going and doing that. He'd come back with candy bars, soda pop, you know.
0: All for candy. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He was Jonesing for
1: his oh yeah. his home
0: his homegrown sugar.
1: He'd, we'd all be standing at attention, waiting to go in a chow hall. One one day, I mean, he did this on a regular basis. He'd just like step out of line and go lean on a on a Quonset hut on a barracks. You know, these little round, they're like tubes, tubing. You know, they're they're just, they're just an arch of a house made out of metal, called Quonset huts. But he was everybody else standing at attention. He's over there, his legs crossed, with The elbow on this building and our drone instructors were out in front of us talking to other drone instructors but a, a different drone instructor came walking across the back and saw him and and, and lazy and, uh, grabbed a hold of him and drug him up to our under drone instructors they tortured that guy so bad um i mean they, they put him we we'll call it hurt locker you know but he got out of there was uh nine platoons going through at the same time and our final physical fitness test he, he came out the top physical fit person oh out of nine platoons yeah and oh. yeah
0: was it after that defining moment that that no no
1: he was he was a cross-country oh. runner in, in high he's school just liked his set, he's, I'm he's sure. just he was crazy He was one of my crazy friends you know but uh, in high school he took three years of typing so but I hunted with him all the time that's mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, his, mom, his mom and dad are both river rats. You know, I mean, from Beardstown, Illinois. And, uh,
0: so what does river rat
1: in uh, Illinois look like? Like, they're like low-life people who, you know, they're called river rats. So they just eat, you know, live off of wild food, basically, you know. Oh. They're low-life white trash people oh. kind, of, kind of people. So, uh, but he, he was... We, we used to well not, he used to go into Ace Hardware and steal like four boxes of shotgun shells when we went hunting. Uh, uh, Bernie would do that. He'd go into an Ideal Drug Store, you know, on a Friday night and steal like four bottles of liquor. You know, I mean, he was just he was he, always came in and
0: shenanigans.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, always.
0: Did he make it out?
1: They didn't even send him to Vietnam. They, they made him office clerk and sent him to Cherry Point. His South Carolina, North skill. Carolina. Yeah, so good because of his typing. Yeah, yeah But he he would have been like the best, perfect person to send to Vietnam. Be,
0: you know. Right, because
1: he was. I mean, he he would have been so good at it. He you was know?
0: sneaky and sly.
1: Oh yeah, he, he loved to kill, man. You know, like,
0: huh.
1: But, uh, so
0: yeah. you're, tell us about your friend. Um, Danny. Danny, I was gonna call him Bernie. Danny.
1: Danny Joyce, Melbourne, Florida. So him and I were both machine gunners for our mm-hmm. platoon. We were in.
0: How long were you into war at this point? Uh,
1: six months. So you're like eighteen, five, 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 almost six, nineteen. Five or six months. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure what month you got hit. I don't remember right now, but, um, but it was. So each platoon had we had 17 marines. So the, out of 17 marines, there were two machine gunners, but me and Danny. So we we were tight because of that, and we alternated nights going out on ambush. So every other night, I went out because we we'd separate our machine guns because we didn't want to you know we wanted to have somebody come help out the main group. So we we usually send like six or seven marines out on, on an ambush and leave ten. You know, or so back at our, what we call a command post nighttime CP. We moved every morning. We moved twice a day. We moved every morning right after daylight and then we moved every night right before darkness. And uh, anyway, it was my night to go out on the ambush and I had this eerie feeling. I just had this mm-hmm. something my instincts were telling me, you know, something was up. So I went to Danny, I said, hey, Danny, uh, do you mind taking the gun out in the bush tonight? He goes, what, you're going home, Jimmy? you don't want to go in the ambush? I said, no, it's just something about tonight. I said, uh, I'll take it the next two nights if you don't mind, you know, he goes, no, I don't mind, I'll take it out. I said, okay, so they left, and about five minutes after they left, our that time CP, I heard all hell break loose and they got ambushed going to, to where they were going to set up an ambush. They got, they got ambushed by a pretty good-sized force, the NVA. It was right on the railroad track that ran from Hanoi to Saigon and right at the Quabiat River. So it was right at the, the Vietnamese NVA had us dialed right in on, mm-hmm. like, crosshairs on a on mm-hmm. the scope. Wow. They, they knew we were right there at that river crossing I mean, with that bridge. There's uh-huh. a blown-up bridge there, going across the Coaviette River. Quabiat River there was about a quarter mile wide. It was a huge river, and we, we were only like two miles from the ocean. And so the, the river was really wide there, and uh, so they, they hit us right there. Killed mm-hmm. Ben Ward was walking point. He was 17 years old from mm-hmm. Columbia, South Carolina. He took a direct hit in the stomach, the RPG, mm-hmm. rocket-propelled pro- 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 grenade. Danny was like five guys back. When I got to him, his whole right side of his face was blown off. So uh, you
0: heard it go off, and then you went.
1: No, yeah, we 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 heard them get ambushed, and then we reacted to it. But the, the NBA knew that's what would happen. Okay, so they they knew that it hit, they hit them right there with that bridge, and that uh, river it is because that made it like a, a cross right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they knew that as soon as those guys got ambushed that we'd be coming to their rescue. Mm-hmm. So they had a big force just waiting for us to come in there. Mm-hmm. And I got to Danny, both his legs were blown off, his face was blown off. I mean, I, I put tourniquets on his legs, hit him up with some morphine in each leg, mm-hmm. and uh, we got a helicopter landed right atop the parapet this this railroad track is about 40 feet in the air so that from each side it was slanted to prevent it from getting subjected to the monsoon range so it was like 40 mm-hmm. feet wide 40 feet on each side so we got a, a chopper in there and uh as soon as the chopper got down is when they opened up on us again and um There was all this steel from the superstructure of the the bridge, this train bridge that's blown up. All that concrete and steel is right there. And um, they had both doors open on the helicopter. And an RPG went right through one door and out the other door. Danny still remembers that. I mean, he he was laying there all screwed up, you know, on the death store, And that lit up his memory. He goes, remember that, Jimmy? You know that RPG? went through one door and ran out the other. If it hadn't been for both doors being open, they would have taken that helicopter out right there. Oh my now, gosh, that's had, amazing, it went through the doors. We we, we would have had a, a real scene with uh, fuel blowing up, and I probably would have got burned up in, in the aviation oh fuel you know, if that both doors hadn't been opened. So they dusted off and got Danny out of there he's he the only living casualty was still yeah, he's the only right. person on the helicopter and um, um, so what the Vietnamese did is they, they just ran up the uh, railroad track about a half a mile up the railroad track and they already big already set up prior to this and they had us dialed in on range with mortars and they started opening it up on us dropping mortars in on us and uh, how many were there of you guys? Of uh, us guys? Yeah. It was like, well, the, the, the initial group, like, six or seven. There were 17 of us all together, mm-hmm. you know. But, uh, but there, you know, there let's say, like, 15, you know, res- able to respond. Mm-hmm. You know. But um, anyway, the incoming start coming in is like, there's no place to go, um, mm. and I just told everybody get in the water, and we jumped down in the water and we just wow. held on, cling to the bank, and I said watch the top, because you know, because uh, they knew we had no place to go, and and they, they probably knew we were going to have to jump in the water and we'd be laying in the water hugging the bank, so I said watch the top, and so. Mm-hmm. Because it, it was hitting the steel, the, the mortars were hitting the steel and hitting the concrete. It was going off all over, and there's no no defense. It's scarier shit. There's no defense oh against gosh. stuff come come whistling in on you like that. But uh, anyway, the next morning.
0: So what ended up happening at that? Like, how long did that battle engagement last?
1: That lasted for about an hour, right then. But, uh,
0: And then how does that end? Yeah. Like, they, they retreat
1: and you... Yeah, they, they just... We, 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 we had uh, helicopters and, and aircraft come in and I told them that they were up, up the... up on the railroad track, you know, up up that way, they were up north straight up, dropping the mortars on us and stuff, so... Uh,
0: so then you had air support come in?
1: Yeah, but they didn't... they didn't, they didn't locate them. So they, they didn't help us. I mean, they, they helped us because they scared the NBA they away. They got them away. But yeah.
0: But in the water. So you like, what was the water like? Was it like swampy alligator no, water? Oh, no, like, no, 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 water? No, What kind
1: of water was no, it? No, it was pretty clean water. Except for it was saturated with Agent Orange. It came all the way from Laos. Um, it, it was a huge river, but it was pretty much pretty clean, real clean, clean, water. That's what that's what we drank. Mm. That's what all the Vietnamese ladies go down with. These yolks and these three-gallon buckets of uh, soy oil, that empty buckets, so they have them on like baling wire and these, these tin buckets, and I go down and bail water out, and they take them back to their huts. So they live in thatched huts, you know, uh, bamboo thatched huts, mud floors. One room, They're, most all of them were just one room, but outside their huts, they have like a concrete urn. Mm-hmm. and that's, that's where the ladies would dump the water so and they had a ladle there made out of like a Campbell's soup can with, with a piece of bamboo the hole on, th- mm-hmm. on each side of the soup can with a, with a handle of a you know, piece of bamboo so everybody mm-hmm. drank out of the same can out of the same urine you know so um, it was an untreated water and it had of Agent Orange because all the water that was coming there was coming off the highlands where the Ho Chi Minh Trail was, where they were. I used to watch B-52. I, I'd feel the g- ground rumbling first. I'd feel, I'd feel the earth shaking. Then i look up and i see the B-52s leaving the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Hmm. That's all close. I was like six miles from the Ho Chi Minh Trail.
0: That's cool. And so, they would just dump Agent Orange to, their process was to. The,
1: Kill all the vegetation, so, so that they didn't have any place clearing. to hide. Yeah, oh. yeah. So the next morning, um, the place reeked of death. Mm. Um, there was like minced meat, chopped up hamburger, human parts laying everywhere.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Chickens were out there eating, eating it. Oh. Um, we were so picking you,
0: up. How many men did you lose
1: that night? We lost three. But uh, we uh, we were matching up boots and people's legs, you know. So it's like I said, here's a nine and a half. That's what Ben wore. This, this is Ben's boot, nine and a half. And by the time I said that, I looked up north on that railroad track. I saw this dog with a boot and a leg in his mouth. You know, running off. And I shot the dog. And yeah, it, it was a match. It was a nine and a half boot. So it was. I figured those were Ben's legs, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, we um, after long. after we did all that cleanup and assessment mm-hmm. stuff, I went back to the the hut where we set up our daytime command post, and we were on high high alert. We figured we'd get hit again. Yeah. And there's nobody sleeping, you know. It was right. Too scared to sleep. Uh, the, they they knew, always knew where we were. We didn't know where they were. Right. We were in the villagers. The villagers always took them off. They'd light lanterns as we were walking. I told the villagers, you know, the, no no lights. If if I see anybody lighting a lantern when we go by, we're gonna blow your hut away. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did. We just opened up on the huts. Opened up on the house, mm-hmm. Light them up. Because they, they, the they were clean. signaling where you guys were. Yeah, but
0: so that was the tactic to go into their their own villages where they were, and then try and take them out village by village, kind
1: of. We we were supposed to be liaison. I was supposed to be a liaison person between the Vietnamese population and the Marine Corps. I was in a called combined action platoon. group pacification. We were supposed to be, you know. Selling them, on our point of view, I thought propaganda was what they were full of, and when I got to talking to them, I found out propaganda is a two-way street.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I found out I was full of propaganda, that they didn't want us there. It was like really, it was like a disillusion. Like, what the hell are we doing here then, dying? You know? Right. You people don't want you us. You
0: realize here. that when you're in there.
1: But wow. So anyway, I went back to this hmm. where we the, the day after the, the ambush. Danny got hit. He told me Danny was dead Uh, Mm. for three days. I was feeling survivor guilt Mm -hmm. and remorse. Should have been me. And, um. can we
0: watch cartoons?
1: So we're getting fresh backup. We're getting, we got like four new guys sent out to us that day. And they were totally aware we just got ambushed the night before. And they were scared shitless. And. I'm sitting there, this little Vietnamese boy comes up to me and he tells me they just found a head of a body down in the river like right where, where I was laying the night before You know, um, actually I was probably about 20 feet upriver from where it, but it was Ben's head and his mm-hmm. shoulders, he had no arms it was just Like right below his collarbone and and his head. And he had blonde hair. And I I walked up there and Mm. looked down. He was in about a foot deep water. And minnows were swimming through his hair. And minnows were eating all along the edge of his severed body. And they were just like nibbling on him. And Mm. I I stood down over top of him, both my feet in the river. And I, I reached down and I picked him up. I held him right in front of me. Mm. His eyes were blue, and they were frozen wide open. Like he saw that RPG coming, Mm. and he couldn't do nothing about it. But his eyes were frozen wide open. He was like,
0: "Wow!"
1: You could see the fear in his eyes. In the moment he died. His last emotion. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that, and Mm. I just uh, I started. I just wept. Mm I started saying, "Oh Ben, you know." I kind of lost it, you know, but here I—I I was down this slope, holding him, in just his bust in front of me, you know. And I had to carry mm-hmm. him up to the top of the hill, and put him in a I put him in a backpack, you know, and I called him my captain. Oh. They came out and got his remains, got that. Yeah, you know. but uh, it's an ugly sight, uh, you know. I I, I, I I couldn't eat anything on a barbecue grill reminded me, bar like burnt meat on a, on, mm-hmm. on a barbecue grill, seared meat on a barbecue grill, turned my stomach for a couple of years because it, it just reminded me of the battlefield, you know. Wow. Yeah, pretty much became a vegetarian. I ate a lot of avocados and alfalfa sprouts, and you know, uh, I I couldn't eat. It really affected me, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. That uh, uh, that was Danny's story, and and
0: Dan- but Danny's alive. Danny yeah. wasn't dead, so you found out. I found when out did you three find days.
1: Out? L- found out three days later, my captain calls me up. on radio. and Goes, hey Ben, I got good news for you. I said, what's that? He goes, your buddy, he made it. I said, what do you mean? He made it. Who made it? He goes, Joyce. He's alive. And I, like, I flipped out on him. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, was like that's bullshit, man. Mm. you know, get your story straight you know he's alive and guy goes yeah he's alive you know I'm like well that's good you know,
0: the torment and torture you went through for the last three days
1: well I took my m60 machine gun and a 500 round assault pack and went up on top of that r- same railroad track about a hundred yards up that rail track from where Danny got hit and you know, Ben got killed and, and uh um, Mm-hmm. There's a Vietnamese farmer with his in his rice paddy. You know, they no, don't have shoes. They wear like kind of like baggy black pants, and he had pants rolled up. Mm-hmm. And he had like a piece of bamboo with a piece of cloth on the end of it. He had probably sixteen mallard ducks that he had on the rice paddy, and a water buffalo. And I just opened up on um, mm-hmm. I killed the water buffalo. And I killed all of the, the Vietnamese guy went running across. I didn't try to kill him, he just he went running across the rice paddy screaming. I killed all of his ducks, I killed his water buffalo, uh, screaming. I was enraged. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the barrel that. on my machine gun was orange. I mean, I was like full automatic. And I mean, you're never supposed to get your gun that hot. I carry a spare barrel just in case you do. Hmm. That's why you carry a spare barrel, but you don't want to get your barrels hot like that. But I did. I didn't give a shit. You know, I was like, I was so pissed off. Mm-hmm. I got busted for it. They wrote me up, and they didn't bust me in rank though. They didn't court martial me, but I had to uh, three months pay. Hmm. I only made two hundred sixty nine dollars a month. That was my my pay plus combat pay was two hundred sixty nine dollars a month. Crazy for having that kind of terror inflicted upon Jeez. me. Yeah. That's so anyway, I I was up for I, I got all meritorious pr- promotions. I was the platoon leader. I was in charge of seventeen Marines, thirty-two South Vietnamese. But All the South Vietnamese were like local, like volunteer firemen. They were local people that went back to their families every day, and then. At night, they'd, they'd show up, but they're a bunch really? of uh, Viet Cong sympathizers, Viet Cong, actual Viet Cong infiltrators. The uh, sergeant, my counterpart, his name was Trung Tong, and every day about four o'clock, he'd pedal in on, in on his bicycle and he goes, Demnai dao," And i I, I go, Dong Kia, And I'd show him, Phuket, means tonight, where we run in ambushes and I, so I show him on a map and then he'd get off on his bicycle and take off so I knew he was divulging the information yeah. because we weren't getting you know contact and stuff so this guy named Wesley Martin from Downsville New York I told Wesley, I said there, there was like a, a, a dirt road that, a dirt path that paralleled it was like 20 feet from the, from the river and then there was like about a hundred yard wide strip of banana trees and bamboo and little rice paddies and, and huts in, in between the back road so there's a back road and a front road to, to this village called Moat Bay so I told I told uh, Wesley I said I'm going to follow this guy and see where he goes so Wesley took the back trail I took the front trail and uh, well Tungsi Tongs Bicycles outside this little shack. Okay So we go in there and I said trunk Town of the dial. I go, come here come here come here come here, you know, they don't know shit Yeah, you know, don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, and uh, I see this pile of rice As big as a mattress, you know, but it's about like a double mattress, but it's about two feet high but I see that it had been there was a line of rice been swept, but it wasn't all cleaned up so i um I started kicking my way into that pile of rice and i, I, I was taking my barrel my rifle and I was like kind of using a as a prod, and I hit a trap door, and it was you know a wooden door, it went down into a tunnel. Mm. And in there, I, I got Trung Si Tong, an NVA nurse, a radio, and the number one Viet Cong called the Village Chief. I got the Village Chief and Trung Tong together with the NVA nurse, and I beat him within millimeters of his life. Mm. I mean, I, I stomped that guy. That guy was like motionless, you know. And I called my captain. And I told him what had happened, and they sent out Central Intelligence C.I.D. detectives, Central Intelligence detectives, mm-hmm. and a helicopter. And they they took them, arrested them all, took them off, took Tonsi Tong to uh, Saigon hmm. for a month, and then they returned him and said he cleared, and that uh, I had to work with him again.
0: Oh my gosh! Yeah. No,
1: I know why you had a bounty on your head. Oh, yeah. Well, there's other reasons I won't go into. That are yeah. More warranted, but I had two Kit Carson scouts. One whose name was Finn. The other one was name was Bay. Bay had a real, like, acne complexion, but he was bigger than me. And Kit Carson scouts are NVA regular Army people that got caught in that area, and they Chew Hoy, chew hoy means I surrender. So, and then they, they take them to Saigon, to Kit Carson School, and then they put them out with us because they know supposedly the movements and they know all the tactics of the local NVA there. So, twice.
0: What does the NVA stand
1: for? North Vietnamese Army. Okay. So, twice I got into it with Bay Finn was passive. Finn, was, I, I liked Finn. he was okay, but you was still Viet Cong. You know, right. Infiltrator, just playing both sides. Mm-hmm. But this Bay guy, twice he put an M16 right on my chest with his finger on the trigger. And the first time he did it, I I was so quick, I just like came up with my left arm and knocked it away from me and, and it went off. And I, I jumped on him and I, I beat the crap out of him. I mean, I took that, that M16, I smashed his head in, and he, he went to the hospital for. Probably two weeks, and they sent him back to me. And that is crazy. He did it again, and he, he told me this time you die. And I did the same thing to him. Uh, I just I, I moved real quick and I, I knocked through
0: It's amazing! You yeah. beat him from the trigger pull.
1: Twice. Twice, true story, twice. So there's that situation. He wanted my ass. Too. my gosh, chunky time went on my ass, but the rest of them on my ass too because I was the sergeants before me i w- I, w- I was a corporal, I was up for a mer- meritorious sergeant three times, but they didn't give it to me because I'd advanced so quickly mm-hmm. um, everything was meritorious based on my achievements and my merit, you know, so and those were
0: based on just your performance on uh, the line
1: yeah. I want performance on merit, yeah. But there's what they call timing grade. You're supposed to be right. a Lance Corporal for X amount. Of, you know, like at least six months or a year before you get Corporal, you know. And then when you get Corporal, you're supposed to be a Corporal for a year and a half, two years, where you can get Sergeant. But mm-hmm. well, I was put up three times. But they dangled that as bait for me to re-enlist. And, you know, they offered me a bonus and said, you give me a bump to sergeant they wanted send, you to be a drill to, sergeant right yeah they wanted me to send me to drill instructor school or early out and i told them early out so um yeah I, I was lucky to get out of there
0: and one of the last ones last stories the friendly fire when you had a helicopter above you just to unleash oh, oh that night what was well, How did that okay so unfold
1: so when I was a platoon leader and I was really a hot shot there and I was in command, I, uh, every night I'd go out by myself with an M14 sniper rifle with a, a night vision called a starlight scope where everything is lit up like lime green in there right. uh, and then I'd take just me and the radio and the M14 and I'd go out of my AO which is, means area of operation so I'd sneak out of these villages across the rice paddies out into the foothills to where our daytime patrols we used to I used to determine where most of the infiltration was coming from and you, know, you could see their sneaker tracks on paths and they're crossing these canals and little two by sixes are crossing on two by six and they hide it in the bushes and I'd find you know, There's two by sixes in the bushes, and I'm going. Oh, this is where they're coming across because the tracks it right here. And mm-hmm. then there, here's the two by six. They're walking across. They know it's right there. They pull it out every night when they come across here. Well, anyway, five nights in a row, I I got five confirms. I got it mm-hmm. confirmed every night, and uh, I'd call it. I'd pick them. I, I'd see them c- coming in and I'd always pick on like the sixth to the eighth guy back. Whoever had a, a pistol on, all the regular guys didn't wear pistols, but whoever had a, a pistol on their side and in the, the lightest backpack was the honcho. That's the head man. So I'd look for the head man and try to nail him and you know, one shot, and as soon as I shot, they hunkered down. Well. Uh, then I was right on the radio, and I'd call in airstrikes. It, it just went back to the dispatcher in the rear, and sometimes it would be artillery from Navy ships, sometimes it was artillery from Army base in Dong Ha, and sometimes it was okay. fighter jets. Yeah, or combination of artillery would hold them down until the fighter jets got in on them. So my captain... Said, you know, you're doing a hell of a job doing it. He goes, I'm going to send out a truck, come, come in, and get a shower and and have chow, you know, and rest the day back in the rear. John Ha, I said, okay. Called me on the radio and told me that. So I went back there that day, and um, this black guy that I'd busted for insubordination for talking back to me, I busted him in rank. Wrote him up, court-martialed him. He was now in the rear as a cook for the captain. And he goes, man. He goes, I want to go out with you, man. He goes, you've been killing people. I want to kill somebody. I came to Vietnam and kill somebody. I want to kill somebody, man. Take me out with you. I said, I'll take you out. You know, you got to get ask the captain. You know. So he asked the captain. And the Captain said, Bennett, if you get my cook killed, I'm gonna pissed off at you. He's the best cook I ever had. I said, if he gets killed, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, be on his own. So that night there was hardly any moon at all it was a real dark moon and it's just like hunting you make, you know, one person makes a certain amount of noise and puts a certain amount of smell into the air two people, it, it makes it worse There's more of your scent in the air I used to be able to smell Vietnamese they, they smell like cheap they smell like cheap soap from what they did the laundry in it was just like Lux soap uh, mm-hmm. but a lot of mexicans to this day i can smell them they smell like gooks because they use this cheap laundry so mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm. but I, I could smell gooks in the, in the bush real good anyway i took this guy out with me and because uh, it was I was distracted by him being with me for one right. thing. I, I, I wasn't 100% tuned wasn't in, mm-hmm. and um, I got in too deep into the spot. Well, I, I was setting up on that very spot I just told you about, where the two two by six was. I was sitting off, you know, a few hundred yards off of that. Um, it was where my intentions were, but I got in too close because it was dark. And I had that guy with me and I thought, well, oh, we're here, I'm not making any, I'm, I just didn't feel like going any further. So we laid down on a on a grave. This grave was like like a volcano cone. It was like up in the air, but it was like hollow in the middle of the top. And I said, we're going to lay foot to foot. You watch the back door, i watch the front door. And I knew there would be nothing coming across the rash paddies behind us. And I was watching the front door. I said, if you see anything, tap me on the foot. Whatever you do, don't go to sleep. And I was okay. So I'm laying there, and uh, you know, hours going by. And I'm laying there, and I, I count. I'm, I'm looking towards Donghae City, but often my they're coming in. I counted 14 NVA walk past me, mm. um, and they're like way too close. I'm going, no oh shit, man. It's like I'm way too close to these guys. And I just when I seen the first one, I thought maybe maybe there's just a couple. I just let it go. I counted fourteen before I, I tapped the guy on the foot, and he was asleep. He goes, Wow, wah, wah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. You know? And about as long as it took me to say, "Huh? What?" Wha, wha. <laughs> you know, about four seconds, five seconds. Hand grenade comes oh and hits me on gosh. the ankle. And, I mean, I don't know how I saw that hand grenade, but it hit me, and I looked right down, and Here's there was a hand grenade laying right next to me, and I just, I kicked it with my right foot, and I just oh turned away gosh. from it, and I was laying on the ground, and it went off. And it was severe concussion. I mean, it was so much pressure on my brain and my internal organs. It was like everything inside of me was trying to bust through my skin. Oh and my gosh. I was hearing like locomotives, like, and I was seeing Tweety birds and red, white, blue stars. And I was hearing all this, you know, like uh, noise and I, I was freaking out and I, I was still conscious and, and I, I couldn't see then I found, I, I started feeling around and I found my rifle and I started pulling, I just started pulling rounds off. Yeah. And uh, I was laying down I started shooting to let them know they hadn't gotten me so I think it overran. And uh, they were shooting back and I was buying time trying to clear my head. And this guy goes, what do we do? What do we do? And I'm like, leave everything here and run for your life. I said, you go that way and I'm going this way. I went out the back door where I told him to watch. I ran straight up that way and he ran like, you know, 45 degree angle different than me. I, I told him where to go and, you know, anyway, I took off, I could just hear the bullets going whoosh, 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 whoosh. Oh and I, I saw tracers, you know, white, green tracers. I was running and, I, and I'd, I, I'd run and then I'd dive and I'd crawl for, you yeah, know, God. like four or five strokes on the ground crawling. I'd get up, pop up again, start running. I was zigzagging and I was just seeing all these tracers past me, whoo, 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 you know, just, I was was running through a hail of bullets.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I get out there probably 100, 150 yards away from, I mean, this is just after getting massive concussion in my lifetime and, you know, having a hand grenade go off. And I'm running out there, and a helicopter shows up right above me. And, I mean, the thing was probably 80 feet in the air above me put spotlight on me and opened up on me with oh my gosh. Mini guns which shoot six thousand rounds a minute. And every every fifth round's a tracer. So we had pink tracers and they had white and green tracers. So you know who, who who's, who's shooting it, who where it's coming from, you know. So our tracers were always these red tracers. So this was a straight line of red coming down at me. Oh
0: my gosh.
1: And I'm standing there and I'm trying to get as tall and skinny as fast as I can. I got both my hands raised up in the air and I'm standing up stretching, trying not to be, you know, be a skinnier target. Right. So, yeah. And the bullets are hitting all around all my around feet. It. I could feel the ground chopping up at my feet. My the heavens. mud was hitting me from from the ground. I was getting getting splattered with mud and they stopped shooting me. I'm, I'm going I'm going like that, and they recognize that you know I'm no gook. Yeah. And as soon as they stopped shooting, I just Took both my arms and I, and I made a motion, you know, over to the right that way, and I pointed, and they went. Oh my God! And they went, took off, and they went over there, and then they they went right over to that tree line, and started opening up on those guys, and, and so I went.
0: Where was the cook at over there at that line? Uh, no, Different he was, direction.
1: He, he was, I don't know where he was. Who knows? You know, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I have no idea where he was at that time, but. So I go running back to the village and I, I run from the back road to the front road of the village because our nighttime command post was right off the river that night. It was on the front road. so I, I go r- running over there and I start running back t- toward where my guys are. And they'd sent seven guys out to help me. And they, all, they heard me running towards them because I was all sloppy, wet, and muddy, and I, I was... They start shooting at you, too? Huh? They
0: start shooting at you, too. Oh, yeah, they
1: all opened up on me. Yeah, they all ducked in the bushes and opened up on me. I, was always, <laughs> I started cussing at them, yelling at them. And they, they shot down right away, you know. But I didn't get hit. I didn't get any blood drawn. Wow. I got, I got a huge concussion that night. But I had so many bullets shot at me. Started off with a hand grenade on my ankle. So many bullets coming my way, just... I could hear them slicing the air. And then my own guys topped it off, you know. They opened up on me. And I mean, I should have been dead. Oh, yeah. And I, I didn't even get no blood drawn. That's, that's a miracle. Yeah, that's a God,
0: miracle. Yeah, God definitely had a plan for your life. Oh, yeah. that's. I mean, there's no. That's why when I,
1: no. when I came back from Nam, I mean, I knew there was a reason for me to be alive, you know. I think God, please reveal to me who I am so I can get on with my life so I would I become a better person so I can help other people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I prayed that so earnestly because I, I just felt like God had a plan for me. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And it's like, please reveal to me who I am.
0: No you know? reason why you should be alive other than he had a plan.
1: And then that whole thing happened at, at Lincoln Land College. The West. Well,
0: we'll save that for the next story.
1: Western Civilization class, That's yeah. where
0: we'll pick up.
1: Thank you for joining us on today's Our Firesides podcast. As
0: we continue to strive to bring you relevant content, feel free to communicate with us with any questions, comments,
1: or thoughts. Any resources or helpful tips will be included in our show notes. We look forward to hearing from you, and until next time, keep the fire burning.